Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you. And we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We've got a once again, once again, we've got a great panel in store for you. We are going to be talking a little bit about mental health in athletics. And I, uh, for me personally, I think that that's a great topic. Before we get into the conversation, just sharing some love with Core Physical Therapy and uh, Cora. Go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. Great location. Great website. Great information. All right, before we get going, uh, Bryce, for the listeners out there, give us a little background on who you are. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, first, I'll say glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so I'm from uh, the great town of Telico Plains, Tennessee. Um, uh, for all those you don't know, it's a, it's a metropolis. metropolis. Um, we have a booming 800 uh, people in our, in, our, <laughs> in our town, not city. Yeah. Um, but I grew up here. Um, I ended up running track in, in high school. Um, I went to Tennessee Wesleyan University in, in Athens running track. Um, and then I transferred after my sophomore year to Oral Roberts University, um, a small division one school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, so I actually, thanks to COVID, I spent six years as a college student athlete. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> through that time, um, I faced many injuries. I faced chest surgery. Um, and then uh, along the way, in part because of those injuries, um, I also had some mental health struggles. Um, now I'm on the other side of that. Um, uh, through that struggle, I also found time and the opportunity to serve on some NCAA committees representing Division One student-athletes. I still do that. Um, but long story short, I, I found my passion. And um, so I just started a company called Mental Health Collective for Athletes. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing. That's where I'm uh, going to be spending the foreseeable future, um, hoping, hopefully making a difference for athletes who uh, experience the things that I've experienced. Wow. James, you're up on deck. Give us a little background on who you are, my friend. James Allison. I'm the regional manager for Cora, Tennessee. I've been with the company for four years now. Um, great to be on this podcast. This is my fourth time around. And uh, I know Bryce pretty well. He was a uh, an employee of mine and, and we've kept a strong relationship ever since uh, he's been with me. And, and now that he's graduated and uh, we're here to make note of, you know, his business, but also shed some light on the topic in general. I love it. Happy All right, here. Dr. Rick, you're up. Make it happen, Captain. First of all, I want to thank you guys for coming on board. Uh, James and I are buddies. So we've been down this road a few times and that's um, a very important topic. I'm a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon and we deal with this on a routine basis. And the mental component, which is different from mental health issues, is, is certainly obviously a big deal. Uh, it's a topic that's recently surfaced in the media due to the likes of uh, Naomi Osaka and Ms. Myers and others. And the interesting fact in the literature is that about 35% of college students have mental health problems, issues, et cetera. 
and about 10% seek help. So that's, that's pretty pathetic, if, if you ask me. I mean, help's out there. I think there's a little bit of a stigma out there. And, and I was going to kind of go into a different direction, but I think before we, we go in this different direction, um, Bryce, why don't you kind of walk us through your injuries, um, the issues that you've had, and, and kind of how you dealt with them. And then later we'll talk about how you would dealt how you would deal with them now. But uh, again, I'm going to pivot a little bit on all these questions I sent to all you guys. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> uh, out with the script. Um, and, and and tell us, tell, you know, tell us what you ran, the sports you ran, and uh, what happened, what you were thinking, how you worked through it, and just kind of give us a summary of of, of your story. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to give a summary as as quick as I can. Um, I've had a lot of injuries, so it's a lot to cover. But, um, you know, I was a, a middle distance runner. Um, I, I still like to think of myself as a runner, but I guess I'm retired now. Um, so I ran uh, the 800 meter, um, which for those of you who know the track world, those are the crazy people. Um, that's what I was called on my team. That's what I was called by anyone that came to track meets. Um, cause it's just a grueling event. Um, it's a half a mile sprint for those who don't know. Um, so really as a middle distance runner, the most common injuries that you see, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a contact sport. So we're not tearing ACLs or not, you know, breaking ankles. Um, although I did know some cross country runners who got concussions from falling and hitting their head. So, <laughs> um, but most of my injuries were overuse injuries. So I had plenty of itises, uh, patellar tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis, um, plaster fasciitis. Um, I had a stress reaction on um, my right foot. Um, it didn't turn into a stress fracture, um, thankfully. Um, and uh, so really um, the, the worst injury was my, my Achilles. Um, it was this thing that, that nagged for a long time. Um, so uh, I'll backtrack. I had two really good seasons at Tennessee Wesleyan. I, I referenced that earlier. Um, I became an All-American as a sophomore. Um, I had high hopes for a junior year. Um, and then my coach told me he was leaving to take a new job <laughs> over the summer. And so I was like, well, there goes that, right? Um, but he ended up inviting me to come with me or with him. And so that's how I ended up at a Division One school in Oklahoma. Um, my first season there, um, I was about to have my first outdoor meet and I noticed something was wrong in my chest. I, I tried to eat something and I, I couldn't swallow it. It hurt. And so, um, they actually found a mass in my, my chest a few weeks later. I had to have chest surgery that season. So that was one season that was gone. Um, I fought back from that injury or from that surgery, um, had a good cross country season, but we attacked it too aggressively. So then my Achilles, uh, flared up. So I, I didn't get to compete my next outdoor, really. Um, and then I came back and uh, there's that pesky uh, COVID was my uh, fifth senior year. Um, I got that red shirt from chest surgery. Um, so then that season was canceled. Um, so then that's two, really two full seasons that I didn't get to compete. Um, so I decided to come back for my sixth year because everybody got a free year of eligibility. Um and then um, that's when really um, the depths of my mental health struggles got to their worst. Um, so it was tough because it was like every year something else happened, right? Um, but really looking back on it now, um, I'm really thankful for how my life has, has turned out because um, 
um, you talk about how did I get through those moments? Um, and really it was my teammates. It was my coach, um, my assistant coach at or Roberts university, the head coach at Tennessee Wesleyan. Um, you know, those darkest moments. Um, I can remember last year, um, wanting to go to sleep and never wake up again. Um, you talk about mental health. I was, that was me, um, for, for six years. My first suicidal thought was actually back in high school. I didn't talk about that. Um, but I kept fighting on until last year, it just got to where I couldn't, um, and, and things slowly start adding up. Um, you talk about the pandemic, you talk about the injuries that I faced, um, isolation. I was living in an apartment on my own. Um, so really, um, the athlete in me, um, as a lot of athletes, um, I didn't get help. I didn't ask for help. I just kept fighting, um, cause athletes are supposed to be mentally tough, right? Um, so I, I took that upon myself. Um, I held everything in. I kept fighting until last year and I really didn't get help until, um, last fall, which is six years after my first, uh, suicidal thought. Um, so I guess long term, long story short, I didn't do a lot to help myself. Um, I had great teammates and great, uh, family and friends that kept me going until I could finally got to a point where I sought help. And, and, and tell us about what happened in high school, kind of kind of walk us back just a little bit and, and yeah. kind of give us uh, your thoughts. And, 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 and the second question I'm going to ask you is, is how did this manifest itself? Was it just depression? Was it anxiety, trouble eating, trouble sleeping? But before you answer that, kind of walk us through um, a little bit of high school and what happened there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'll even take you back a little further to give you some more insight. Um, so I grew up as a perfectionist. <laughs> um, and you talk about uh, Katie Meyer and a, a tragic story. I mean, that was kind of her story as well. She was a perfectionist. Her, her parents talked about that. And I think a lot of athletes are. Um, I, uh, I ended up being the valedictorian in high school. I was voted best all around. So on paper, I had everything going for me. Um, but really, um, I'll go ahead and answer your question for me. I was, I was very depressed because, um, I think you can get to a point when you're seeking perfection that your identity is lost. Um, because really I was seeking to be the best in my class. I was seeking to be the best on the track, but really I didn't know why I was doing it. Right. Because part of our identity, um, or at least, in, in my experience, um, part of our, our identity is knowing why we're here and why we're doing the things that we're doing. And for me, I didn't have that. I was just doing things because um, other people expected it or um, I wanted to make my parents happy or I wanted to make my coach happy. And so I, I woke up. I don't know if it was really one day, but uh, over a course of time, I realized I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. Um, I felt trapped because I had been pursuing those expectations for so long and didn't know how not to. Um, and so that's kind of where I kept going. Uh, I went to college and I kept pursuing track because I, I, I thought if I kept winning, that would keep me happy. Um, I pursued physical therapy. That's how I, I met James because uh, I thought that would keep me happy. That was a good career. I didn't really feel strongly about it, but I knew it was a good career to be in. Um, so, um, long story short, I think it was mostly identity and then, um, depression stemming from that. And, and, and when you were in college, same thing. I mean, so, so for everybody listening out there, what, what are the signs? I mean, what, what, what should we be looking for? You know, when an athlete tells us what should we be 
nervous. And, and, and I'm going to ask that same question to James here in a minute, but you know, I see athletes day in and day out and high, high level athletes, great track athletes, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of times they're not very forthcoming because like you said, you know, you're not, you didn't see kelp till way later till you really couldn't deal with it. And that's most of them, you know, their toughness, it's grit. You're supposed to be the tough guy. So, so for the listeners out there, what are the symptoms? You know, what, what, what do we need to look for? Yeah, for me, um, I think it's different for everyone. For me, um, it was, um, I was an overthinker anyway. Um, and I think in my darkest moments, um, I would seek isolation. Number one, um, if you're, if your friends are starting to like be by themselves more often, um, than they used to be. Um, for me, that was not necessarily where I felt safest, but it's where I felt I didn't have to hide and pretend anymore. Um, pretend to be happy. I could just go home and be sad. Um, and so I think that's one big trigger or big sign. Um, I think number two, um, if you're depressed and you're an overthinker like me, um, I actually got to where I couldn't um, mentally function at a point. Like I remember calling my coach and I was like, hey, this was last summer. I was freaking out because I just accepted a full-time position in South Dakota. Like I moved my whole life um, last summer in the middle of this um, depression, right? Um, not scary at all. And um, I, I called him and I remember telling him, I can't do my times tables anymore. Like I, I legitimately thought I couldn't do my times tables. And I, I, at that moment, I couldn't. Um, I would read a list of names, just the student athletes I'd be working with because I was working in an athletic department. And I couldn't remember a list of 10 names. And um, so I think f- f- symptoms for me um, and what I heard from my doctor as well is mental fog is a big symptom. Um, and so that was that's probably the best way to describe it. I mean, it just felt like my mind couldn't find clarity in the moment. No matter how hard I tried, it was just like I was kind of stuck. Um, and then I would be very irritable, um, for like, I would lash out for no reason. Um, so I think those are the big three that, that I noticed, um, and and that looking back, um, a lot of my, like none of my family knew, but I think if they were looking for those three signs, if they knew to look for those three signs, that's what they could have seen. Um, cause there were moments where somebody would say something to me and I would have to ask them to repeat it like three times, not because I couldn't hear them because it it was like, I couldn't process it. Um, but I think if they don't know what they're looking for, like all of those things can be interpreted differently. Right. So like when I ask them to repeat something three times, they think I didn't hear them. All right, listeners, we've had a brief interruption. We had a power outage pretty much on my side that interrupted this particular conversation, but we're going to continue. We're going to soldier on. All right, Bryce, back to you, Dr. Rick, back to you, James, you're so far back to you too, as well. Continue. So James, the last question um, was asking about, you know, an athlete comes in, what cues you to ask some questions? What concerns you? Um, what tips can we give therapists out there, the doctors out there that, hey, something isn't correct? Well, when, if, if you're talking about first initial evaluation, you don't really know the person. So you, you can't tell if there's personality changes or, you know, if this is just who they are. But 
one thing we pride ourselves on at, at Cora and, and as, as the profession is we, we build a therapeutic alliance, which is just a very strong relationship where there's open communication, not only from the, the physical care, but the, the mental care and just having a personal relationship. So I think early on, just letting them talk and asking them questions about, you know, if they're, they're happy with where they're at and do they feel like they're, they're overtraining and, and just based on their symptoms, you can kind of interpret if they're, they're overtraining and maybe the, the physical ailments are affecting them mentally. But as you continue to build that relationship and you see them more frequently, like, like a Bryce and, you know, they come in, they're always happy, go lucky and motivated, ready to train. And you, they come in a day where maybe they're a little bit more down or, or irritable, you know, then that's where you, you dig in a little bit more because you're, you're sensing that that's not who they are. And I think the, everything that Bryce said is spot on, but also like from my standpoint, just seeing like a personality change is where I would start to dig a little bit deeper. And it's, it's all about just asking questions and not feeling like an interrogation, but if they, they feel comfortable with you personally, they're going to be willing to, to open up a little bit more. That's excellent. So, so Bryce, give us, give us some thoughts about the challenges an athlete faces versus the challenges maybe just a regular student faces in terms of, you know, tell us about your schedule, um, time challenges, uh, activity challenges, um, what, what people expect of you, expectation challenges, when you were going through your process? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to try to find um, – the NCAA has done some really great um, research, actually. Um, and so I have a slide here if I can find it. But in the meantime, you talk about demands and the difference between uh, a student and a student-athlete. Um, we spend, on average, about 30 hours a week um, – on our sport, on top of going to class, on top of studying, on top of some of us have part-time jobs. We need to talk about, um, you know, finances. We need to talk about your relationship with your coach, your relationship with your teammates. Um, what are the team dynamics? Um, what are you doing to contribute to that? What are some things that, um, how is that impacting you? Um, and so really, that's where you, you talk about the student athlete. It's on top of everything else that we're experiencing with us as being a student, um, which a lot of people forget. Like when you watch um, college football on, on TV, it's very easy to criticize a quarterback for making a bad play or a, a point guard for, you know, missing a layup. But what you're not considering is there's an exam potentially at seven o'clock the next morning. Like we don't get to pause what we're doing in the rest of our life and just do sports like most people think. Um, and we're not all doing, you know, easy majors either. Like I had most of our baseball team were engineering majors. <laughs> like you have neuro neuroscientists that are quarterbacks at the University of Tennessee. You have future doctors, lawyers. Um, these are high achieving academic students who are on top of that spending 30 hours a week playing their sport, competing, practicing, traveling. For us, we had um, in my conference, we had to do 12 hour bus rides one way. <laughs> so you talk about just the, the exhaustion from riding in a bus for 24 hours over a weekend. 
and that was we competed once a week talk about our baseball team who competed two or three times a week and they have to make those trips um so you talk about mental exhaustion from traveling constantly from competing constantly from trying to be perfection because you can't um your coaches don't or expect you not to fail as as um as much as possible um so you talk about pressure on top of the demand and that's where you get into those sticky situations and you get into those tragic stories that we hear so much about that's excellent james tell, tell us about some of the other issues tell us about um appetite tell us about burnout tell us about eating disorders um well you know what 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 are some of the issue, other issues that we haven't really discussed that, that are directly related to mental health, low energy, price at irritability, that, that's a common one, um, and, and, and sort of this general fatigue, you know, you just don't want to do anything. Kind of describe those a little bit and, and, and walk us through those. I think, like, burnout can be the, the same thing as, as someone acting um, or coming across as depressed, you're just kind of down because you've you've worked yourself to the bone, and that's where this this tendonitis and and all those things come into play. So, from my perspective, and I have an example of a a high school linebacker that's getting ready to play at the college level, and he's just training training nonstop. And he came in a couple weeks ago and was just really down because his knee was was still bothering him. And, you know, I got to talking to him about what his, his daily routine was like and talked to him about his diet. Obviously, we know that's important. And he just was talking about how if he's not studying, he's, he's training, he's training, he's training. And he even mentioned the word burnout. And, you know, I just I use the word overuse. That's he has some patella tendonitis. And I was like, this, that's an overuse injury. You're training like a madman. And as athletes, we're either in season or we're training to be in season. So we never really stop. So as a physical therapist, we try to help accelerate that recovery. And I told him, look, let's focus on therapy three days a week. I'm going to throw everything that I have at you. We'll even do some training in here, but everything in between, let's focus on recovery, stretching and, and your diet. And that took about a week and I'm not in the office all the time to see him. Um, but the recent follow-up after we, we kind of modified his, his plan, he comes in, he's super excited. He's like, my knee feels great. You know, and he's, he's ready to go. And he's like, let's turn it up in therapy. So I think looking at the, the burnout, that's kind of how I address it. And if we're looking at just general rehab, strength building, um, bodily health, we'll, we'll talk about the, the diet because not everyone eats well. And, and athletes, sometimes they're, they're eating at the, the calf where you got your Chick-fil-A, which I would eat six times a day if I had the option. So talking to them about, you know, obviously getting in your, your proteins and, and helping the body recover. And if they don't have a, a health background, you know, even though you're an athlete, that doesn't mean you're a movement expert. That doesn't mean you know how to perfectly diet. And even at the highest college level, they may not have the, the true dietitians and trainers to help them get there. So I think just looking at the picture as a whole and talking to the athlete, that's what I want to emphasize. And what we'll all emphasize here is just talking to the person and seeing where they're at, not only from a physical standpoint, but their, their health and, and at home. Yeah. And I th- if I could add a, a couple of things there, um, first on the nutrition side, I had teammates who ate burgers and fries almost every day at the division one level. <laughs> and you talk about sprinters. I mean, our whole 
our whole job on the track is to be physically fit. Like we have no, like our, our sport is conditioning and being healthy. And we had teammates who would literally eat burgers and fries almost every day. If, if they were going into the cafeteria, there's a grill section and that's where they would go immediately. Um, and then I found that slide. It gives some interesting numbers that I'll throw at you. And this is a survey from 2019. So this was three years ago now. In the, at the Division One level, I'll just talk about the Division One level to narrow it down. Um, athletic hours per week is 33 hours. Academic hours per week was 35 and a half hours. That left six and six hours and about 15 minutes for sleep and 15 and a half hours for other. So we had about a little over, uh, on average, a little over two hours a day for free time whether that's relaxing, socializing, and the rest of your day is routine. And for me, that's what led to my biggest problems last year. When I graduated, I, I ended my eligibility. I had all I had so much structure. I had less than two hours a day to figure out on my own. And now I have to figure out my whole day. You talk about the transition from being an athlete to the real world or quote unquote the real world. Athletes, a lot of times, don't know how to handle that. I know I didn't because um, I was used to my schedule being made for me. Um, and I used to say that I was really good at planning my day. Well, of course I was because half of it was scheduled for me. <laughs> um, and I just had to live with the rest and make do with what I had. Um, so just to, just to throw some numbers to, to back up my sentiments earlier. No, and I think that's important because I think, you know, your demands, your weekends aren't your weekends. You're, you're, like you said, you had two hours of downtime. Um, partying is generally out of the question because you got to go to practice. So uh, I, I think it, it, it's an issue. I played tennis in college. It was the same thing. I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, so let, let's talk about a couple things. Were you, once you kind of got help, um, were you on any medications? Are you on any medications? And how do those affect you? I mean, I guess they probably affect you obviously differently now than if you were competing, but, but tell us how medications would affect a competing athlete and, and, and what, what the negatives of uh, being on medication, certain medications would be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am on medication. Um, I started when I started seeing um, my therapist, I was actually at, at such a low point that I couldn't seek help for myself. Um, this might sound embarrassing to some people, but for me, it's part of my story. So it doesn't embarrass me. Um, my mom actually had to take me to the doctor. <laughs> That's how I got help. My mom took me to my primary care physician and she said, um, you know, your symptoms, it, it sounds like you have depression. I'm going to start you on medication. We're going to get you some therapy. Um, so I'm on a, uh, an antidepressant. I was on an antidepressant for about five or six months. Um, and really I haven't had any side effects for that. Um, it, it keeps me from the way she describes it. It kind of creates a, a floor. Um, so when you talk about your emotions, it keeps you from going too, too low. Um, so I don't notice it on a daily basis. Like it doesn't jack me up or give me on, give me a high or make me happy or anything. It just keeps me from going too low. Um, and, and it's kind of gives me a stable foundation. Um, and then actually I had a big breakthrough in January. Um, uh, we can talk about that some if you want, but that's, it was a crazy story. Um, and after that, I actually had a huge shift. Um, so I, I kind of 
so I'll, I'll just give you some uh, some brief tell details. Us story. To kind of tell us a story. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Um, so I was actually on a on a plane um, to the NCAA convention this year on my birthday. Um, so it was a lot of crazy factors. Um, and remember when I said I, I couldn't really think, like I couldn't do times tables. I can tell you every detail of that day. Um, I could tell you that I left um, the from gate six um, from the the airport in Knoxville. I left from 16B in Atlanta. I sat in seat 25E. Um, I know the name of the lady that sat next to me. Um, and during that flight, um, I actually I stumbled upon an old article just trying to kill some time. And it was talking about overthinking. That was one of my big problems. Um, and I was trying to figure it out. Um, again, that's what I was as a problem solver. I, I was a perfectionist. I tried to figure things out. Um, and actually, for whatever reason, um, in that moment, it kind of clicked. Um, and I stopped thinking so hard. And I think for a long time, that's what I was doing. I was thinking very, very hard about everything. Um, so the best way I describe it is when we walk, we don't think about the steps we take, right? We move forward. I was. Like I was literally talk, thinking about my right step, my left step. And that's what I was doing every day on everything. I was thinking about what the person was thinking about. I was thinking about when I was talking to you, I was thinking about what you were thinking about, what I was saying so that I could say the right thing to get you to say the right thing so that I could get this conversation over with so I could go home and go to bed. Um, and so that mental fog, I think, is a real like there was a physical side to that as well. I was mentally exhausted from working too hard. So in that moment, I realized that I didn't have to think so much. And so I stopped. Um, I actually wrote I on this plane ride. I wrote down in my journal as it was happening. And it's a it's a really I, I hold on to that journal because it keeps me. It reminds me where I was and where I am. And so. Um, back to what we were saying, um, I, I had that big shift. And when I got home I, to see my therapist, He's actually uh, talking to him. He's like, you're too excited. You have too much energy. Like I couldn't sleep. I, I would wake up or I would stay in my bed until like three in the morning. I was so excited because now I could finally live again. And so I had all these ideas running through my head. I couldn't sleep. I was so just full of life. So I'm, I'm actually on um, a mood stabilizer to keep me from going too high now. <laughs> so um, I'm taking an antidepressant to keep my foundation, but I'm also keeping a mood, uh, taking a mood stabilizer um, to keep me from going too high. Um, and I believe that one is called Depakote um, originally. Um, and that one, uh, Warden, you talk about side effects. That one made me really drowsy. It, it would keep me good for half a day. And then the second half of the day, I would get really tired. Um, so we switched to Lamotrigine um, and I haven't had any side effects with it. So I can take it and it gives, keeps me from going crazy <laughs> with, with emotions. If I, if I go into one of those um, exciting times. Um, but really, I think it was just that huge um, contrast from being depressed for six years to now being able to to live again um so yeah i guess that's my my experience with medicine has been at really great so far i have a really good doctor and really good therapist uh, they've been working well together that's awesome and in the therapy how often do you go to therapy 
Um, I was going once a week. Um, now I've dialed it back because um, I'm in a much better place. Um, um, I still try to go a, a couple of times a month, um, but I think once a week is a pretty solid, like it's doable. Um, as an athlete, that could be pretty hard. Um, financially is where I got hit. <laughs> um, but I was kind of at a point where it didn't matter how much it cost. I needed help. Um, so when you start reaching out for help, I think the priority is getting help. Um, the finances and the time demands is secondary. Um, so you can figure that stuff out, but you can't keep going on without getting help. You know, and I think that's a huge shout out to everybody who's listening, not just athletes, but people in general, you know, the, 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 the helps out there, um, as, as a society, we do a horrible job with mental health. Uh, I, I, it's just beyond how poor we are and how poor we've done. Um, and if, if you said, you know, give me the two hardest parts of your job where we've really failed mental health is one obesity is two. I mean, we just, as a, as a myth, as a community, we just have done awful. So, uh, there is, there is help out there. Um, it's certainly not as accepted as diabetes or high blood pressure where it should be. Um, but again, uh, for everybody listening, you know, you're, you're, you're hearing great, great words. And, and I think it's, it's very important. And from knowing Bryce personally, you know, for going on over five years now, Bryce is always, I've always considered Bryce like just a great dude. You know, like just all around works hard wants to be great, wants to do good for, for people and himself. And well, when I first met him in the first couple of years of our relationship, he was a pretty quiet guy. And then, you know, that was just, maybe he was introverted. That was just who he was. And he, he leaves for college and he comes back, you know, three years later and he's completely different person. It's still Bryce, still the best looking guy I've ever seen. But I mean, there's the personality change. We talk about personality changes for the worst. This guy has, he's, I mean, for him to be doing this and be as outspoken about it and everything, you, you see that he, he got what he needed at a time when maybe he didn't realize that he needed it. And I think that's really impressive in, in speaking about him because that's a big step up. And, and again, and to talk about it, it's a big step up, but you know, it's not an embarrassing thing. I mean, he said, well, it's embarrassing. Your mom took you. I think, first of all, we don't really understand it. How does a layperson even understand what's going on? You know, it, he, he wasn't sitting there saying, well, you know, I have this, this, and this. He, he's trying to figure it out, number one. And number two, again, I mean, this podcast should get to resonate with people to say, hey, you know, this is, this is no different than diabetes or your plantar fasciitis or whatever. So, again, um, I think it's very, very important for people to listen. I want to talk about one thing, which I know with Naomi was an issue and, and some of the other athletes that we've dealt with. Um, and I want to talk about social media and, and how that, I, I think it has a huge impact in our society. And I think there's study after stutter study showing its impact in young, uh, athletes, young teens, young people, but Bryce, you think, and I'm going to ask you the same question, James, you think, social media, negative, not important. Um, what's its role in mental health? Yeah, I think it depends on how you use it. Um, I think like a lot of things in this world, it, it can be used for good, but not a lot of times it's used in the best way. 
Um, in my case, um, for a long time, it was a way to compare myself to others. Um, and I think you see that with a lot of, um, a, a lot of young people and a lot of, um, athletes as well. It's a place for us to share. Again, you hear this a lot, but it's our highlight reels. It's the best parts of our lives for everyone else to see, but let's not show everything else. And what that does is it reinforces this idea, in my opinion, it reinforces this idea that we're only allowed to show everyone our good side. So that's what we do on social media. If you consume and you partake in this enough, you start to believe that's how you're supposed to act in the real world. And so then it reinforces this idea that, okay, when I see somebody in real, the real world, I'm only going to tell them all the best parts of my day. I'm going to keep, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day, then it's just going to be a short report. <laughs> and um, that, that's, how, that's how Instagram is. If you're having a bad week, you don't post that week. <laughs> if you have a good week, then you post 10 times that week. And so I think the problem is how we consume it, not necessarily social media itself. Um, when we rely on it, when we spend hours in a day, when we're comparing ourselves to um, the person who is uh, on vacation this week when you're at work and now you're jealous. And so now you're going to quit your job so that you can go on vacation. Like, like when it starts impacting your life negatively because you're trying to pursue some unrealistic expectations, that's where it starts to have its bad side. Um, so just a personal example, I stopped consuming social media. I have my social media platforms, but I only get on to post or check on something. Um, I limit my time and I feel like I'm in a much better place now. <laughs> um, so I, I'll turn it over to James as well to, to share his insights. Yeah. James, give me your insights. I mean, you see a lot of kids, you see a lot of athletes, how does social media impact them? Positive, negative. What, what are your thoughts on social media and athletics? Um, in terms of, you know, time spent and good, bad, what are your thoughts? I think, you know, it's, it definitely can be overconsumed. Um, Bryce pretty much nailed it. It's, it's all about what you use it for. Um, I personally use it to, to make posts about Cora and sharing this podcast um, for, you know, just communication on the topics, but obviously there are some positives to it and, you know, not always for the good, but um, when it is used for the good, it, it gives people a voice and that can reach people, um, you know, outside your city and, and into neighboring states and even in countries. So I think it, it gives people a voice and it allows people to join in. Um, just like when we're going to share this podcast, I'm going to share it on Facebook and I want people to, to listen to it and, and hear Bryce's story and, and what we're talking about. And hopefully that gives more people the, the comfort to, to speak up and even, you know, not just social media, but the internet and being able to, to find your, your support groups and having the access to that. And I think people should take more advantage of the social media internet for those reasons and not just to complain about something or, or share their opinion on things. I think it, it should be used for the, the betterment of society. I agree, not the detriment. I, I think that's right. And so one last question, James. What, what, what do we need to do and I'm going to ask you this question as well, Bryce. What do we need to do moving forward? How, how, how do we, you know, how do we deal with something? That, I mean, 30%, 30 to 35%, you're talking about a pretty good, you know, 35% of student athletes don't have plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis or rotator cuff tears. But we're talking about a pretty significant cohort of the population. 
is there something we can do prophylax against it? You know, how do we, how do we come to grips with this and how do we make this better? Well, I'm not a mental health expert by any means. And, and personally, I've never um, suffered from any mental illness necessarily, but um, I think just looking into this topic more and, and knowing Bryce and, and hearing the stories that we hear that are slowly coming out more, it's just having a relationship with people outside of your, your practice and, and having all these connections to where if you recognize those signs and think that, you know, it's just like referring out to the orthopedic because this may require imaging or surgical intervention. Maybe there's something psychological that I can't really help you with. And let me, let me direct you to someone that I know and just being outspoken and going into these offices and building the relationships. And personally, as, as my a physical therapist in my city is I want to have a relationship with everyone and in every business so that I can give my patients, my family, my friends, everything that they need. And it's just letting the, you know, the psychiatrists and, and some of those others know what I'm looking at and that I want to have a resource that I can send them to if that, that time comes. And, you know, our education in school with sports psychology and stuff is, is very vague and limited, you know, it's one or two courses. So I think um, as a profession, we need to step up and, and get more continuing education hours and be able to, to learn the ins and outs on, you know, ways to, to dig into the psyche of our patients so that we can help them personally as well. That was excellent. Bryce, give me your thoughts. How, you know, how do we help athletes? Is, is there a way to head this off or, or, or should we be screening? What, what, what do we need to do to improve upon this? Cause again, I think we've failed um, in your situation you know, you've done unbelievably well, but, uh, but I think as, as a medical community, I, I'm, I can't give us an A on this, uh, on this topic. So, so how do we do better? Yeah. Um, I think I'll start by saying we need more of this. <laughs> we need to talk about it more. Um, we need people who have platforms to use their platforms to talk about it. Um, so we need to number one, get comfortable talking about it. Um, Suicide is a very real thing. It's a very scary thing to talk about. So we don't talk about it, but it's real. I mean, we need to talk about it so that it won't happen as much. Um, I think number two, building off of that um, is what I see in the athletic world and the sports world is there's plenty of resources. There's just not a prioritization of our resources. Um, so we're spending millions of dollars on coaches, but we're not spending any money on sports psychologists or mental health counselors. We're not spending any money on, um, I mean, literally my school had no sports psychologist. We had no counselors um, for our student athletes specifically. We had a, a counseling service for our general student population, but at one point they were eight weeks booked behind. So if you have a, a serious is issue, like what are you going to do? You can refer out, but again, how long is it going to take for that process? Um, so I think, again, in, in college sports specifically, we need a prioritization of our resources. Um, I think you talk about how do we get ahead of it? Um, well, we do physical. We do physicals every year. Right. Before you compete, you have to do a physical exam. Why is there not a mental component to that? That, that would get ahead of a lot of these issues. Now, not everyone was going to be open up about this, um, but you could at least if you save one life, it's worth it. Right. Um, and you, we do concussion testing or concussion screening before our year. We do physicals every year. And literally it's just like checking your weight and blood pressure, like add a, add a little survey, um, to assess your mental health. They have plenty of resources out there that, that don't take a lot of time. 
um, that are or have proven to be effective. Um, and then again, I'm trying to answer that question with the company that I started, <laughs> uh, Mental Health Collective for Athletes. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm centralizing different mental health resources from different companies onto one website and to one platform so that if an athlete doesn't know what to do, doesn't know where to get help, they can come to one place. Um, and, um, I'm in the founding process, so I, I can't say come to my website and do this now. I'm, I'm in the process of building the website and making those partnerships. Um, but hopefully down the road, um, we can, instead of each company just pursuing their own goal, um, my idea is to get all of our companies in the mental health uh, community working together towards one goal, um, and making it a lot easier for not only athletes, but universities as well. Um, I have a big connection within the NCAA. Um, and so if I, if my platform, uh, goes to one university, um, then instead of 10 marketing pitches from 10 different companies, then we have one marketing pitch for all companies. Um, so again, that's my personal passion and hopefully I'll help answer that question. Uh, but I think there are a lot of things that a lot of people can, can help to join in that cause as well. Super. All right, James, what do we forget? What should we have talked about that we didn't talk about? I, th I think we, we touched on it really, really well. Um, like, like I said at the beginning and, and like Bryce has said many a times is don't be afraid to tell your story and, and speak up because there's too many lives lost and too many people suffering that if they would have just told one person or, you know, wasn't afraid of people judging or, you know, being embarrassed by it you know, we wouldn't be having this, this discussion or have to have this discussion. And back to the statistics you're talking about, only 10% seek help. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, and I think Bryce is, is headed in the right direction to, to change the, the mental health world. And, and I know he will because everything else he's put his mind to, he succeeded with. So. Thank you. Bryce, what do we forget? What do we want to talk about? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me is vulnerability. Um, yeah. One of the companies that I talk with, their founders, that's basically their mission statement. Vulnerability is toughness. Um, so when you talk about being a, a tough athlete, why not be more vulnerable? Because um, that's one of the toughest things to do. Um, and so I think um, really for us to make progress, we, need, we all need to start being vulnerable. Um, and what's what's crazy is... Again, we live in this world where we assume everyone else has a perfect life. For whatever reason, we assume that nobody else is struggling with the things that I'm struggling with. And so literally, I bought a car a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and I had an hour long conversation with my car salesman and the business manager talking about how he was going to counseling and he was going through some mental health problems. And it's all because I started talking about it like I, I don't even remember how the conversation started but it, once we start talking about it other people will be more comfortable talking about it I didn't feel comfortable talking about it until one of my fellow NCAA committee members talked about it with me and I was like oh wow I, I felt understood and that's the thing we need to be vulnerable so that we can feel understood and then when we feel understood more people will be vulnerable and it's a chain reaction um, so again, that, that would be my charge to everyone. Um, let, let's stop pretending like our lives are perfect. <laughs> well, you know, and I, and I think that's a really good point. And I think that's my point on social media. You know, you're going to post your best picture and you're having so much fun. And like you said, you're going to quit your job because all your buddies are on vacation and they're, they're posting all these great pictures. Well, that's not reality. 
And, and I don't know that, that everybody understands that. So I, I think it does have a negative impact on, on a lot of people. Number one, number two, I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, I think vulnerability is toughness. Uh, there's a saying in, in sports medicine, there's two kinds of people, the people that struggle and the rest, everybody else is just liars. And so, um, you know, everybody has their issues. And, and I think the more we can talk about them, some are big, some are small. Um, but suicide's real and, and it happens on a routine basis. And to be 100% honest, you know, I think people should commend you for coming out and your company. And I think we want to double back probably in six months or a year and just hear how you're doing for, for a little follow-up. And anything we can do, you know, God of your eye, um, we're more than willing to help. If you need someone you want me to talk to or you need a speaker or whatever, I'm 100% in your corner. And, and again, you know, I, I really applaud what you've done. And uh, I think you're going to help a whole lot of people, A, with this podcast and B, with your company. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I look forward to working uh, with you moving forward and helping change the world and helping save lives. Um, so I appreciate it again for your time. And, and I've enjoyed this. this. Oh, are you there? I think we lost you uh, briefly, Bryce. Sorry, I. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I you go there. Don't call. touch a thing. Don't touch yeah, a thing. I received, I right received there. a phone call that, that cut me off. Um, where did I get? Where did I get? No, you were good. You said, uh, yeah. and and I mean it. I mean, we're, I'm I'm 100. You call. You can call James or Brett or any of the guys in core, and you need a speaker. You need someone to come. You know introduce here or chat or whatever um, I, I don't think there's a more important topic so i think uh this is a good first step but uh again i think we need to circle back before we leave i have to ask you is that a peloton or your road bike or what is that behind you <laughs> it is a swin actually um so, <laughs> so this is my bedroom my home office and my my gym all wrapped up in one that's the advantage of being a college athlete you get to be resourceful <laughs> when yeah. you're used to living in small spaces you kind of make do with what you have <laughs> i love it listen you guys you were both excellent and this 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 you know this is a hundred i mean all the way around so other than a little uh you know Power outage just, just couldn't have been any better. Yeah. <laughs> thank and, you, Louisiana. Uh, I want to thank you guys. <laughs> hey, I've got a couple of guys. questions real quick, and, and I, I don't mean to interrupt here. Uh, th there's the, the big vision, right? There's the big vision, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's some heavy lifting, and it can be overwhelming, right, from a mental perspective. from a, And, and I, I, I see where this is going. Is there a way to be able to sort of incrementally, because we're talking about being vulnerable, I don't feel comfortable being uh, vulnerable, right? I, I, it's just not natural for me. So mm -hmm. uh, don't think about it, Dr. Rick. I'm not going to share my innermost thoughts, just FYI. <laughs> but the reality is, is that is there a way to incrementally approach this so that we achieve some some wins and some victories and some success is that uh, is that a possibility? That's to you, Bryce. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the more vulnerable, the more. Uh, you're getting sorry. That's okay. Um, Somebody's calling you. Somebody's peppering I you. Have, I should have switched to my. I should have switched to my computer. But um, <laughs> I think um, conversations like this is always the first start. 
Yeah. Um, I think as far as, you know, the bigger picture of getting everyone to devote more resources to it, I think, um, again, just encouraging people to seek their help for themselves. Um, you know, if, if a school like mine can't afford to, you know, hire a sports psychologist, let's at least find out who's in our community and then give our athletes, you know, their phone number, <laughs> right? Like there, there are small things we can do um, that don't cost a lot. Um, there are a lot of organizations right now that I'm working with that offer very affordable or free resources. Um, so again, finding those resources, sharing them, promoting them. And then uh, if you're comfortable sharing your story, but not everyone has to share their story, right? right. Like if you don't want to share your story, share this podcast, <laughs> you know, share somebody else's story who is vulnerable and that's okay. Not everyone has to, has to share their story. Um, cause it's, it's hard. It, it's very hard yeah. um, to do. So I, I would never encourage anyone to do it if they're not comfortable doing it. But I think I, I, if more people step up, I think it becomes the norm yeah. and, it, and it should be the norm. Yeah. And I, and I like the, the, what you're trying to do and propping up that uh, website and be able to create this uh, single point. Uh, I, I find people are more apt to uh, look for um, solutions if I don't have much resistance. So if you make it frictionless and I could go to this website, find information and get help, I think that there's only positive that can come from it. I think that that's the way to go. I look at it as the ESPN model. So if I go to sports, I'm going to ESPN, you're right. So you, you can do the same thing. And I think that that's a, that's a beautiful thing. You it's agree, gonna It's going to happen. Just watch. It's going to happen. Well, well, I think we circle back. I mean, we, we want to hear we want to hear how things are progressing, and I'm 100 sincere in terms of uh, yeah. my participation. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big deal. I think this is a a, yeah. a really big deal. And, well, I, and, right and now, I, I agree with right. Doctor. Go ahead. I'm sorry about that. Excuse me. No, you're fine. Right now, I'm in the fundraising phase, so I was going to say, if you want to contribute, <laughs> well, here is the question I do have. Is if have you made it easy for people to uh, give money? That's the thing. I'm I'm working out the process on how I want to do it. Um, so I, right now I'm an LLC, um, but I want to become a nonprofit. Um, mm -hmm. But the problem is I, I can't just become a nonprofit overnight. It actually costs money to do that as well, and mm -hmm. uh, some legal uh, hoops to jump through. Um, so I created a uh, what's called a Plum Fund. It's kind of like a GoFundMe. Um, mm -hmm. So there is a website. Uh, it's, it's a plum fund. I, I can get the link where you can you can donate. Um, I don't know how many people are comfortable doing that. Um, how many people are familiar doing that? But um, certainly, I have I have an avenue. Okay, uh, I think that you need to provide it for the listeners. And so, if you it can do that offline, give me the link. Do whatever is necessary. We'll post it on the the podcast. Uh, yeah. I think you guys are, I mean, I think this is a really important, not just from an athletics perspective, but I think from a, from a life perspective, I think that this conversation needs to happen. And I think there's a lot of challenges out there. There are. And I, and, and uh, I think you guys are uh, hitting on all cylinders on this one. Agreed. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, if I wanted to get a hold of you, Right. If I wanted to get a hold of you, how would I get a hold of you, Bryce? Yeah, um, I'll give you uh, my cell phone first. Four two three eight eight three six four one one four. Very good. And then 
Um, my email is just my first name, B-R-Y-C-E, P, and then my last name, C-H-O-A-T-E at gmail.com. Got it. Got it. All right. James, how do they get a hold of you? You can contact me at jallison at corahealth.com or in my office, 423-405-0013. All right. Great conversation, gents. Really well. Thank you very much, Dr. Rick. All right. Go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. They treat everyone right. At Cora, everyone is welcome, everyone is respected, and everyone is supported to achieve success. How about that? It's right on their website right there. I'm, I'm reading it. it right there. It, does, it just didn't rattle off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you guys were wonderful. Thank you very much for being on In Your Corner. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. All right. Thank you very much. And, and listeners, we're going to have another great conversation shortly, so stay tuned.